dealing with the one flesh down uh, numeral Roman numeral four under the covenant of marriage and family. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, number three here tonight. We'll pick off here, but I want to read the verses for us tonight. This is specifically verse number uh, twenty down through twenty-five of Genesis chapter two. And we've been talking the past couple weeks about the importance of this, and we're going to do so again tonight in looking at this. I believe it is incredibly so crucial. Now, tonight we might look at the crowd that's here, and we might say most of us already got this, have already lived this, and all that stuff. Well, that might be so, but we can always improve on being better husbands and better fathers and and better wives and and better mothers and better believers, and as well as being uh, more mature in our walk, not so that our marriages or our relationships would just be better but so that we would in turn be able to teach others those things when you got married and when you got out in the real world even if you weren't married just out in the adult world did you ever find that moment in time where you said i wish they would have told me about this <laughs> right like every day <laughs> no one told me it was going to be this hard no one told me how to do this or that and and so i really firmly believe that God has allowed us to mature in our faith, regardless of your age tonight, that to mature in our walks with Christ, to not just heap up to ourselves all this wisdom and all this grace and knowledge for ourselves, but rather to heap it up so we might pour it out for others. Uh, to not be so stingy with the lessons that we've learned and the things that we've seen, but to teach it to another generation that much like what Israel had to face, where there was a generation that knew the Lord, and then it wasn't too long and there was a generation that was backsliding, and then there was a generation that did not know the Lord, and then there was another generation after that that followed and worshipped idols. And so that's the progress that we've seen ourselves face in our own nation, and even in our churches, and I would probably say in our families over the past two, three uh, generations. And so tonight, let's begin by looking at Genesis chapter 2, verse number 20. It says, And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh." And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And tonight we pick back off, uh, pick back up where uh, we're dealing with shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This one flesh. We have two people living two individual lives, uh, two different goals, two different dreams and, and aspirations, and, and, and thinking about uh, how to live, how to do finances, what's most important, all these different things. And now they stand up before a congregation. They say the vows, they say I do, and then guess what? They're off and happily ever after. Except happily ever after comes crashing down really quickly because sin is there at the door. And we find that this person thinks this way, this person thinks that way, and they butt heads like billy goats. And that's what oftentimes is described as marriage, but that is not what marriage is meant to be. Marriage is a beautiful gift of God. As with every relationship, it is not meant to be billy goats butting heads. It is meant to be two being united together for something common. Now, literally with marriage, as we've been talking about, it is literally two becoming one. There's no longer two different people. It's one. You you are one family bonded together. And as Clark writes here, he says, 
So they shall be considered as one body, having no separate independent rights, privileges, cares, concerns, each being equally interested in all things that concern the marriage state. If you have a marriage, or even just a relationship for that matter, where one cares a whole lot about that relationship or that marriage, and the other one only cares about halfway, do you think it's going to go good? No. right. Even if this one's doing all they possibly can, and this one's doing half of what they possibly can, it's still not going to go, uh, go good at all. It, it takes two truly committing themselves to this. And really, uh, keep that quote in mind, because here in a little while, we're going to look at how marriage is the picture of what you and I are doing tonight. The gathering of the church. It is the not only here on this earth, the body of Christ, but in the days to come, we will be seen as we meet our Lord in the air, that we shall be His bride and He our bridegroom, that He shall come for us and we will be a, a pure bride. It, we will be uh, all that we are meant to be the moment that we see Christ. And, and it is going to be this union together where we shall so so shall we ever be with the lord he is not just our lord and our master but as we see jesus and the church goes hand in hand it is uh, like a a husband and a wife and and we're going to see how this is so important that the one gives everything for the other and the other one gives everything for the other and if it does not work that way right there's going to be issues the reason why we have issues in the church today is not because Jesus has stopped caring about the church. It is not because Jesus has stopped uh, caring or expecting certain things. Jesus has not changed. He never will change. He never has changed. What has changed is people. Our motivations have changed. Our preferences have changed. Our ideas have changed. Our focus has changed. And instead of being Christ-centered and Christ-focused and Christ-glorifying, we have now been going What can we get out of church instead of understanding that we are called to be the church and to be a pure bride for our Lord? And furthermore, on top of that, for us pastors, what we have done is we are called to not just be an under-shepherd, but to protect the bride, to keep the bride pure, to not, as as one has put it in an illustration, to take off the, the pure, beautiful white robes when the the world wants something prettier than that and to parade her around in some sort of other garb that the world approves of. But it's rather, we need to keep her pure. We must keep the church pure because it's not our church, it is Christ's church. This body belongs to Jesus, not to Pastor Joe and not to anybody else and not even to a constitution. It belongs to Christ and Christ alone. We must remember that, that we must submit to Him. Now, here as we look at this, when we hear two become one flesh, as we've dealt with a little bit already, the first thing that pops into everyone's mind is, of course, the sexual union uh, between husband and wife. Uh, But the purpose of sexual union, I want to address that tonight. First of all, it is to fulfill God's command to be fruitful and multiply. This is the command that He had given to the animals, but this is especially the command that is a, a, a special privilege that is given to Adam and to Eve, to mankind that we now who are image bearers and the only image bearers that there are of God, because everything else is just a, a living creature that God made, formed and fashioned and spoke into existence. But now we are literally made and have the, the breath of, of life breathed into us that we now become a living soul, that we are then to procreate to fill the earth. Uh, and so this is exactly what God had called Adam and Eve to do. 
It is a beautiful thing. It is a wonderful thing. It is a God-honoring and God-glorifying thing. Uh, I even saw today, now you've got to, we've got today, we've got to understand, with this whole idea about having babies and everything, there's one giant group of liberals today who say, the world is far too populated. We've got to decrease population. So this is why we have communist nations, and even those who are not communists, by the way, and that should really make us have the antennas going up when there's allegedly civilized countries who are willing to um, murder not just babies in the, in, in, in the womb, but as well to say we've cured a Down syndrome by murdering those babies. We detected they were going to be, uh, have Down syndrome, so, so we eliminated that in the womb. That's not curing anything. That's being a murderous psychopath is what that is. It's committing idolatry. It's committing every sort of abomination you could possibly think of. And then the same group that also says, well, if you're no longer contributing to society and you're older and you're now just a, a drain on society, you can't take care of yourself, others can't take care of you, well, you can now opt to, uh, or we can even opt for you uh, to, to be uh, neutralized or, or put to sleep, right? We're, we're not animals, all right? We are living souls, and each one has a divine purpose. And they say that we've got to make the population decrease but here God clearly gives it, and I firmly believe that we are facing a day. Uh, Elon Musk, everyone heard of Elon Musk, right? He's like the richest dude on the planet right now. Um, I don't agree with much of what he does or what he says or anything like that, but even this guy has come out and said, we don't have enough people on this planet, let alone on Mars, right? Everyone talks about, we want to go colonize Mars. He's saying, we, we can't even populate, you know, uh, have enough population right now on the earth, let alone even thinking about going to other planets. And by the way, I don't think we're going to get there, okay? Now, there's a few people you might want to ship off to Mars or you might think are from Mars, but we're not worried about that tonight. We're talking about here the earth of which God has made and God has sent His Son to die for those in this world. And now the second thing that we see about the, the purpose of the sexual union is that is to then as well enjoy the love that is instituted by God for the purpose of becoming one flesh and it is not to be accepted outside of the bonds of marriage. Unfortunately, this is one of the places that the church has slipped on in the past few decades, where it has become much more lax and much more soft about it and said, well, you know, it's just the new day, it's just a different age, or let kids be kids, things like that. That's, that's what we would call in the Greek hogwash, all right? It, it, it's baloney. It, it is, it's still absolutely sin. There's no other way around it. It does not matter if you have been married before, get divorced, and later on you, you decide, well, we're not married yet, but we can still... It's still called fornication. Right? It is sex outside of marriage. Sex and the sexual union is only beautiful and is only good when it is inside the bonds of marriage. It, it, only then. And, and so we've got to understand this, that we are facing a, a day and an age, and as we have for many decades especially once we have, literally in our own nation's history, a place in our history books that is called the sexual revolution. A whole decade of, hey, do what you want. Let's experiment. And let's change everything and flip it on its head. Right? That's the old way. We're not doing the old way anymore. This is a new age, a new era, a new world. We don't need that. What we need is to return back to, to God's Word because what we have found scientifically, biologically, spiritually, emotionally, is that outside of marriage, all that it does is cause harm, emotional issues, a, a, a tremendous amount of stress, a tremendous amount of disorders, a tremendous amount of, of burdens and, and things that, that take place that, that are abuses to what God has instituted and created. David Guzik then goes on to write and says, 
It depends on whether the bonding takes place in a relationship with the right conditions. Committed love demonstrated by the marriage commitment and a pursuit of true intimacy. Just because sex is taking place in marriage doesn't mean it is truly fulfilling God's purpose of bonding together a one flesh relationship. They shall become one flesh. Though an initial bond in a one flesh relationship can be formed at the first sexual relationship a couple has, the fullness of what God wants to do in the one flesh relationship takes time. It has to become. There are those who think that marriage or uh, everything uh, about marriage is, is just to get to the sexual union and that then everything just goes away. All the problems, all the issues. That's not the case, is it? No. As a matter of fact, that the saying goes, you get married, you go on your honeymoon, and then the reality is you come back and the honeymoon is over, right? right? The honeymoon period, it, it, it ceases to be, and, and now the billy coat bumping head starts to come out, and, and there you are for the rest of your life, bumping heads. And that's not how it's supposed to be. However, we, we must look and understand this. That I believe what David Guzik writes here is absolutely true. How he discusses how the relationship, while the moment that they covenant themselves in marriage and, and, and then become one flesh in a physical way, that that is not, okay, well, boom, we, we've arrived. Marriage in any relationship, for that matter, takes a tremendous amount of trust building and time. It, it takes a tremendous amount of mistakes and I love yous, and I'm sorry's, and please forgive me's, and let's go get ice cream and make this better. It takes a, a, a vast amount of time. If I were to ask tonight, and to be honest, I might be afraid of how some folks might answer. I don't know, but, but, but uh, tonight, if you were to say and look back, if you've been married, who all has been married longer than 10 years? Longer than 20? 30? 40? 50? Feels like it, 60, <laughs> okay? Now, for those who, who have dealt with that, let me ask you, what is more meaningful? And, and maybe here, don't raise your hand just in case. What is more meaningful and more true about, about your marriage? It, it, would you say that right now your marriage is better now than what it was the exact moment that you said I do at the altar? All right? I would hope that you would be able to say that right now it's better than it was when you were at the altar. Because at the altar, you are still nervous. You are still not having a single clue what marriage even looked like, no matter what the pre-marriage counseling sessions you had. There's only but so much pre preparing you for that. It is not until literally years have gone by that you continuously are learning each other and continuously building this trust. Every relationship, not just marriage, but especially here as we're dealing with Adam and Eve, the bonds of marriage are going to be slow building and it's going to become difficult. And every time that there is a little bit of trust broken, it takes twice as much time to rebuild that trust and to regain what was lost and broken. And, and there is this constant um, breaking down and building back up, but this constant building together is what it's supposed to be. Building each other up and building a home and a family that is based upon the Word of God. It is sacrificial it is genuine, and it must be those things, or else it ceases to be a marriage of which God has designed it to be. Now then we find this phrase, and it is very key, to leave and cleave. This is very serious, and we often lose the seriousness of marriage, right? And we'll get to that in just a second. But to leave and cleave here, as one commentator puts it, by the leaving of father and mother, which applies to the woman as well as to the man, the conjugal union is shown to be a spiritual oneness, 
a vital communion of heart as well as of body in which it finds its consummation. The union is of a totally different nature from that of parents and children. Hence, marriage between parents and children is entirely opposed to the ordinance of God. Marriage itself, notwithstanding the fact that it demands the leaving of father and mother, is a holy appointment of God. Hence, celibacy is not a higher or holier state, and the relation of the sexes for a pure and holy man is a pure and holy relation. Find the seriousness of this commitment, that you leave and you cleave. Now, you want to know what leave and cleave means? It means leave and cleave, right? It don't get much more simple than that. It's not that you leave relationship and you say, I do, right? I do, okay. Bye, Mom and Dad. See you when I'm dead, right? That's not how that works, right? That's not it. It is the fact, though, that the moment that this takes place, and even to a degree beforehand, that the relationship is changing, right? Every relationship, by the way, as all of you guys know who have been married 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 plus years, relationships do change. Right? The, the, the different dynamics and the things, uh, the, the way that you interact with one another, the things that are more of a focus that, that change with time, but especially between parents and children. Because the moment that this young man says, I do to this woman, and the moment that this young woman says, I do to this young man, they are now their own family. Right? They certainly will always be, to a degree, apart by blood of their families. They'll certainly try to see each other at holidays and call mama and check in with her and all those good things, right? And we should have all that. But they are to leave and cleave to each other, right? It has been said, we hear phrases like cut the apron strings, right? There's a reason for it, right? It is a difficult thing. And for me, just to, to you know, uh, to be a little personal tonight, you know, I, I, I was an only child. So it's tough, right? For me, it's easy, Right? All i got to do is say I do, and I'm leaving in Cleveland, but it's tough for the folks that you are all they have. Even for those who have siblings and things, it is still, I don't know, necessarily easier for parents because what you've done is you've realized that, okay, well, we accomplished what God told us to do. We've raised them up. Now they're on their own. And that means that now they are responsible not just for themselves, but now that young man that we raise is responsible for his wife. Did we do the right thing? Did we teach him all that we could? Did, is he ready? Ready or not, here he is. Let's, you know, he's got to do this now. Right? This is the, the ultimate test of what it means to be a man and the ultimate test of what it means to be a woman. Now, here with this, this is a covenant. This is a literal, as we're going to see, till, uh, till death do you part covenant. A covenant in the Old Testament is the idea of a cutting because it is a promise, it is a vow of literally until death. There's a reason why we say phrases it in weddings, till death do us part, or till death do you part, right? Not, not till you are looking for death, but till death do you part. It is then that it's, it's over. But this is a commitment. As God committed Himself to Israel, as Christ has committed Himself to the church, we see that this is a commitment, husband and wife together through and through, thick and thin, richer for poor, better for worse, and then the worse, worse that comes after that, and the poorer, poorer that comes after that too. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 19 for just a moment. Well, a few moments. Matthew chapter 19 tonight. 
Matthew 19 is, and I'm just going to be real honest with you tonight, there's not a pastor that I know that likes preaching on marriages, divorces, and money. (laughs) They're very difficult topics because everyone's got their opinions, their thoughts, their issues, and everyone, to a degree, gets their toes stepped on. It's not fun, it's not easy. But our Lord didn't shy away from it. He was asked about it, about marriage, about divorce and all these things and and it must be addressed here to see the importance of this here in matthew 19 it's recorded it says and i'll back up to verse number one to help us out a little bit it says and it came to pass that when jesus had finished these sayings he departed from galilee and came into the coast of judea beyond jordan and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there and the pharisees also came unto him tempting him saying unto him Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now we have the crowd. They're there. They're hearing Jesus teach. They're getting healed. Things are great. But of course, while things are going great in the ministry, there are always the few Pharisees who have to come along and they just want to trip up Jesus according to the law. They want to try to dissuade the the rest from following Him and all these things. But here's what verse 4 says. Verse 4 down through 6 tells us, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? And I love that, because of course they have. They're Pharisees, right? They've got their little phylacteries that show all the Scripture that they've memorized. They probably even have these same verses memorized in the Old Testament. He goes, Have you not read? Of course they've read this. But he says, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore... They are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God had joined together, let no man put asunder. Here Jesus makes things very clear. He makes two things very clear. First of all, gender or sex, period. He says there's male and there's female. And then he even tells us how long it's been that way. Since the beginning. When is the beginning? When God tells us in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. When he, the moment He makes uh, the created order, he does so male and female, and he does so for reasons that are biological, that are spiritual, that are a whole multitude of things that we see. This is not something that the male patriarchy built up to try to push down women and all those sorts of things. That's the things that we hear today. That's not the case at all. These are things that God established himself, and these are things that biology, science itself has established the second thing, though, that we find is that Jesus then establishes what it actually means to be married. He says exactly what we've read in Genesis. He says, they leave father and mother, and they cleave unto the wife, cleave unto their, their spouse, and the twain become one flesh. Right? They're no more two separate, but now they're, they're one. He says, what therefore God had joined together, let not man put asunder. We must understand that every marriage is meant to be a biblical marriage. Right? If you only have fuzzy feelings for someone and it's only puppy dog love or it's only lust, do not get married. Get your heart right first. Right? That's the first thing I'd say to do. Look to Christ. Look to the Bible. See what it means to be a man, a real man. See what it means to be a woman, a real woman. See what it means to actually be in a real marriage and what that looks like long before you even consider getting into it. I remember teaching you know, with my youth group, and, and I was one of the youth pastors who didn't just focus on dating and stuff because, one, we 
had a bunch of kids who weren't dating, so it was great. We were happy about that. But I told them, look, do not go on one single, I mean, don't go on all, we, they say, well, let's missionary date, right? The, the, the idea is like, we'll, we'll date someone that's lost and maybe through that they'll, what's going to happen and what happens nearly every single time is that the one who is saved and just thinks that this person's blue eyes are just so pretty Right? No matter what their life is like, they just get, well, I'll just, they'll change because they'll love me. No, they won't. They love them themselves, and you're just doting more on them, and that's all that's going to take place. There won't be that change unless there's an inward change of the heart. And this is why we must counsel our young people before we're talking about dating and marriage and relationships. We need to teach them what it means to be a man, we need to teach them what it means to be a woman. And by the way, there's no two such of a young of an age to a degree uh, where we have this. When they become teenagers, start teaching them what it means to actually be a man, what it means to actually be a woman, and the roles, responsibilities, the goals, the, the, uh, the beauty of who they're supposed to be. Right? There, there's beauty in being a godly woman. There's beauty in being a, a godly man. Teach them to desire the same thing for a spouse. The greatest thing that we can teach our kids as far as dating or having a spouse is that they would know Christ, that their spouse would know Christ, and they would know Christ together. That Christ would be the center of their own hearts, then of their marriage, of their relationships, and every relationship for that matter. You see, as Sorensen writes here, he says, It has always been God's will for man to grow up, leave home, find a wife, and cleave unto her. The Greek word used in the New Testament quoting cleave here has the idea of being glued or welded together. The permanency of the bond of the marriage relationship is thus established from the very start of time. The reference to one flesh implies not only the sexual union within marriage, but also <clears throat> the overall unity between a husband and wife. Is anyone out there weld? Nobody? All right, I know you do. Don't pretend, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? He could weld. Right? Now, I can't weld. The closest thing I can get to welding is if I overcook spaghetti and they stick together. Okay? That's it. But those are still just two spaghetti pieces that are stuck together. The idea here is literally that of something that was over here, something that's over here is now put together and there's no taking it apart. It should be so with our marriages and relationships, especially with our marriages. There... For, for husbands, there should not be a single thing in this world, not another woman, not a job, not a dollar, not a house, not a boat, not a car, not a toy that could take you away from your wife. If at the end of the day, all you have is your wife, you should be just as content and if not, be feeling that you are the luckiest man in the world. And vice versa, the same, the wife should feel the same. The, the, the both should feel that it is, Nothing that should be able to come between us because we are now welded together. And what happens is long before we get to divorce papers and hearings is we let little things get in between. And then now there's space. And what used to be welded together is now cracked. And then it's now letting the air or the water, the things come in and slowly shift it and slowly break it apart further and further. All the while, they're going, well, what's that person's deal? How come it's getting further away? And this one's going, what's that person's deal? Why is it getting further away? Because I know it's not me. And now the next thing you know, there's no communication, living in different parts of the home or different uh, boats in the night just kind of passing each other. And 
There's little to no communication. There's no relationship. There's no love being shown. And now what was supposed to be welded together is just barely hanging on. It's not what God had designed. The reason why it goes that way is not because God ceases to be good or ceases to be faithful, but rather because we allow things to break apart what is never meant to be put asunder. Now, we look at this. And I have here for you in your notes, do not think that a funeral is more serious than a wedding ceremony is. I'll be perfectly honest with you. What is sad is most pastors that I know, including myself, would oftentimes rather do a funeral than a wedding because weddings can be so tedious and so uptight and so everything's got to be perfect and all this stuff, but funerals, not so much. Funerals, families are grieving. There will be flowers. There will be songs. You will preach a message. You'll have a graveside if there is one, and, and you'll go home, and the families will take their time and their grieving period and, and all that stuff, and, and that's about it. There's no extra thing of going, well, I hope they stay together. I hope they really understand this. Right? Our, our marriage, our, our, our funerals, rather, are, are dealt with. Everyone comes in, and they're very solemn. They're very serious for the most part. They, they find their place. They shed some tears and things, and rightly so. But may we not think that a marriage ceremony should be any less serious. Right? What happens with weddings, especially nowadays, is it's, let's get this over with. Let's get to the dancing. Let's get to the celebration, everything. But let's also, though, we've got to step back and we've got to remember the seriousness of what's taking place. When you're out there at the next time that you're at a wedding, and, and counting a privilege, by the way, to go to a wedding and, and not to a funeral. Right? It's a blessed thing. And then to be able to look and go, what is taking place here is to be an act of worship before God. It is to be the welding and melding of two things that are now one family, one body. And as we're going to see next week is that it's going to be this wonderful, beautiful picture of what our spiritual life is to be like with Christ. United together as one body under one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one gospel, all these things under one mind, one accord. And furthermore, God has given and designed this covenant to have it kept. Do not think for one moment that God takes the funeral service far more serious than He does the wedding ceremony. I believe He firmly takes that wedding ceremony very seriously because there are two people who are saying vows, not just before a congregation, not just to each other, but to God Himself saying, I will. I will be the husband that I'm supposed to be biblically. That I will be the wife that I'm supposed to be biblically. And that we will seek God in all things according to His Word. That we will leave and that we will cleave, not just to each other, but that we will leave father and mother, cleave to each other, and cleave to the Word of God. And, and as each person is seeking the Lord, we will begin to grow closer and closer and closer together. But I also have in here as well the difficult part is that divorce should never be viewed as a good thing. We must also know that it is not an unpardonable, as many believe. This is a difficult thing for many. There's probably not a single person in here who has not been touched by divorce in some way, shape, or form. But there is also probably not one of us in here who would say that that it's worth celebrating. 
No one should stand before here at the altar and make vows within their mind going, well, I'll give it a couple years and if it don't work out, I can always get out of this thing. Would you, let me ask you, would you go to a wedding if you knew that the couple was thinking such? I wouldn't. If I, if, if I had a couple ask me to marry them and they said, hey, you know, we're just, we want to get married because it's the right thing to do. We're going to give it three to five years. If it don't work out, we'll just, you know, part ways. I ain't doing that wedding, right? I, I ain't even going to it. I don't care what kind of cake they got. I'm not going. Why? Because they clearly already have in mind that there's a way out. We even have the popularized thing today especially for those who might have a little bit of change in their pocket to get prenups, right? And what that is is saying, hey, I do, but then the moment that we don't anymore, you're going to give me this amount. Well, that's not a real marriage, is it? That's not. And what we've got is this understanding, though, is that as we have two coming together, that it's meant truly to be the death do us part. See, every bad marriage that there is, and I've known and seen plenty of them, unfortunately. Every one of them is heartbreaking for their own reason. And so is every divorce. It should break our hearts because what has happened is we have seen the effects of the fall of man. That two sinful people got together and thought that they could make someone else better, and they ended up making things worse. Things got worse and worse and worse. And now both feel that they can't go on, that they can't reconcile not only to each other, but to other people outside of the family, outside of the home. Kids are broken up. Families are broken up. Lives are changed forever. Literally, our whole nation has truly been changed by the divorce rate. And that sounds old-fashioned. That's fine. But it absolutely has wrecked and ravaged our nation. Having a lack of united homes, having homes where there's only one uh, parent having homes where then there's even two parents but living two different lives and there's nothing happening together there's no love shown there's no affection given there's no example given and we wonder why kids grow and say i don't i don't want to get married i don't want to get married i don't want kids because all they've seen is nothing but the bad side of what sinful people can do together what we need to be able to teach them and to show them is what the beautiful things that God can do when two people say not just yes to each other, but yes to the Lord. And this is absolutely key. And Jesus then gets asked in verse number 7 of this passage, they say unto Him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? In verse number 8, He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, mm. Because of the hardness of your heart suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. He's saying it was never meant to be that way. In verse 9, he says, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Adultery, unfortunately, today is not viewed as a major sin, but it certainly is in the eyes of God. Adultery was so bad in the Old Testament that to commit adultery meant that you could be put to death by stoning. 
I don't know what we need today, more, either more teaching on that or, or more people throwing rocks at each other. I don't know, but we need something. We've got to get back to understanding that we've got the wrong view of marriage, we've got the wrong view of adultery, because ultimately we've got the wrong view of God. We don't take God serious enough, nor His Word serious enough, to understand what it means to be a man, to be a woman, to be a husband, to be a wife, to have marriage. We don't understand what it means to, to have the seriousness of adultery because what would happen with, with God and Israel is that He would look at them as they would go playing the harlot and say, you're playing the harlot. that You're, you're an unfaithful spouse. You're wicked and perverse. And heaven help the churches that do the same. Heaven help the, the homes where this is taking place. And, and long before physical adultery has taken place, there has been a fornication and an idolatry and an adultery of one's mind and in one's heart. Long before anyone goes wandering off to Motel 6, there has been a mind that has already wandered, eyes that have already looked, a heart that has already been hardened. And it's nothing but pride and idolatry. Jesus clearly gives this, that adultery, he says, that's given there in the law. Even in the midst of every time that there is a separation, a, a, an attempt at divorce, there should always be an attempt of reconciliation. There should always be a reminder of, do you remember why you said, I do in the first place? There should always be a reminder of the seriousness of what I do means and what you will do, and who God is. Reconciliation should always be this because what did Christ come to do? He came to reconcile us to God. Therefore, we are given the ministry of reconciliation to, to one another spiritually is the idea that we lead each other to, to Christ, that we lead each other to salvation, that we point each other to Him, but that we as well reconcile with one another in our relationships, especially with our marriages. And this is a difficult thing because everyone today has been touched by this difficult thing. And all of us would say that we want one thing. We want perfect marriages, don't we? But there are no perfect marriages unless we get perfect people, but there will be no perfect people on this earth because it's a world that is cursed and full of sin. Here we find, though, in Genesis 2, the end of this, and this is where we'll end tonight, this is the only perfect marriage and it did not last long. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They were yet naked yet without shame because there was no sin. So we all have on clothes tonight. They did not need as well to alter their appearance to look good for their spouse. Both were content in each other. Now you would say, well... Eve looked good. She was a beautiful woman. Absolutely. Certainly she was. Right? She's the father of, of everyone else. She's the mother of everyone else that comes into existence, of course. Beautiful. Give you that. But if your love fades because wrinkles and gray hair, you don't have a love that you think you do. Love is much more than the outside appearance because the outward appearance fades. And boy, it fades quick, don't it? <laughs> but see this is the beautiful thing about marriage is that it's not about the wrinkles or the gray hair it's 
It's not about any of those things. It's not about, sure, would you like to look good for your spouse? Yeah, sure, of course. Who wouldn't? Right? That's why I wear deodorant every now and again. Stuff like that. You think about this, though. If it was all about the outward appearance, it would be superficial, wouldn't it? If your spiritual life was only about the outward appearance, what would we call it? Superficial, wouldn't it? It's about something much, much deeper. An inward heart that is full of love. We will not have an inward heart that is full of love for our spouse unless we first have an inward heart that is full for love for God. See, it is sin that causes doubt. Does he really love me? Does she really like me? Are we really meant to be? It is sin that causes the arguments of, how come you can't put your socks in the dirty clothes? How come you can't do this? Well, how come you do this and how come you do that? Because we've got plenty of how come you can't do this, but we've got little of the, I'm sorry, you're right. We've got little of the, what can I do to be better? Because we're far too puffed up with pride. It is sin that causes jealousy. It is sin that causes wandering eyes and wandering hearts. The issue of our day is not just that we have broken homes and marriages and things. The reason why they're broken is because we have broken people. And long before we have anyone stand at an altar long before we end up having to have them sit down with a mediator and and, and go through lawyers and everything else. Both husband and wife or the man and the woman need to sit down, talk to each other, talk to God, and listen to what God has spoken in His Word. My prayer is that each one of us, though, tonight... I know it really is to a degree preaching to the choir. These are things that you know and these are things that you understand. But these are also things that your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and the generation after that have no idea what it means. Very few kids will get to say anymore, my grandma and grandpa have been together for 60 plus years. Let alone will they be able to say, my mom and dad have been together for more than 10. Right? There's so many who are facing these days and these trials where our homes have become so broken and our whole society, we would say, is broken, isn't it? And I would say the reason why we have a broken society is because we have broken homes. And we have broken homes because we have hearts that are not whole. And they must be made whole and can only be made whole through Christ. My prayer as well is that tonight that we would not only teach others what it means, but that we would first have our hearts taught what it means. That whether tonight when you raise your hand, whether you said I've been married or 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 plus years, and maybe tonight, before you close your eyes and your recliner and go to sleep there, <laughs> that you would be reminded the seriousness, the beauty, and the glory that is in this relationship that you have with your spouse, and that you would seek that no matter whether you're married or not married, that in every relation that you have, and everything that you have, and in everything that you do, that it would be according to how God has designed it, 
that it would be pleasing and glorifying and honoring to God, and that it would keep Christ at the focus of all things. If there's ever a need for anything today, it is to make Christ first. Let us pray tonight. God, I pray that You would help us tonight, each one of us to take these things serious, Lord, whether we're married or not tonight, God, that we would take them serious, Lord, because You take them serious. It is the home that You established. It is the hearts that You have established, Lord, to be able to be the the biblical husbands and and wives and, and mothers and fathers. God, help us to be those things. Help us to have our heart's desire set on those things. But help us as well, God, to understand, Lord, that unfortunately, Life has happened and sin has happened. And, but God, to know that You are the one that can reconcile and You are the one that can redeem. Lord, that even though there, there might be breakups and, and sin that takes place, Lord, that we know, God, that You are the one that can redeem and make, make beauty from ashes. And God, we thank You for that. Lord, we know that You are the one who has promised us the, the great truth of, and the great picture that we, Your people, Your church, are like a bride. God, help us as Your church, as Your local body to be pure before You, to be holy before You, and to be preparing for Your return for us. God, I pray that You'd help us tonight. Guard our hearts, protect us, and help us to be an example and a light to this world. Lord, help us as well to see the seriousness of the home. And God, that we would take care of our hearts first so that we can take care of our homes so that our church would be strengthened, that our communities would be strengthened, that our nation and this world might be strengthened, God. I pray, Lord, that you would use us, bless us, and encourage us, and God direct us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all.